Father Harrison, you just saw a snapshot of my life. <laughs> I uh, I was the witness. I was literally the witness on Skype to a moment of I forgot to put this in my calendar. Yes, exactly. That's what happened. So we recorded the uh, last week's episode. And by the way, we this is my fault because I, I need to carry the American flag on, in this podcast. We said nothing about real Thanksgiving. Shame on us. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and ate lots of ravioli like all good Americans Wait, do. Quick question with that, though. Is it a holiday? Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's funny. Because we all know what the root of the word holiday is. Holy day. Right. Because if you say it's a holiday, then you're saying America is really a religion. And then you're not Catholic anymore. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. So if, like, the very idea of giving thanks is a very Christian idea. Mm-hmm. So I think it's something that we can baptize and make good. So I think in that aspect, it's good. But it's, you know what's funny about that is ever since, like, entering seminary and getting, just diving headfirst into this Catholic world, certain holidays, like Thanksgiving, they're like weird bonus holidays, like, I don't think about them. I don't get excited mm-hmm. about them. But all of a sudden, they show up. I'm like, oh, I get the day off. That's lovely. But I don't think of them as, like, holiday holidays. Right. I think of, like, Christmas, Easter, solemnities as the big days. And I was like, oh, Thanksgiving. That's a, that's a thing. I get to eat a lot of food. Yay. So it's like a weird bonus holiday in my brain. So, okay, before you talk anymore, I got I got, I got questions as, a, as an outsider, if that's okay. okay. Uh it's on Thursday, which has always been weird to me. Um, mm-hmm. So, like at seminary, did you also usually get like the Friday off, or was it like a, a term break for the whole week? Or I'm trying to remember. So, I know my my college students, they are off tonight. I think they're off. To, I think their first day off is tomorrow. Gotcha. Uh, so they get Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Because you need literally a whole day to travel, because it's the most traveled day of the year for Americans. Exactly. Everyone's running it's around crazy. visiting family. It's more, it's bigger. It's bigger than Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Because it's kind of like the family holiday. A lot of times, families will for Christmas they'll just stay in the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. But Thanksgiving, that's one where you see relatives and such. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And that was really my big one because I'm just like, yeah, that's just like Thursday's a weird. Why is it Thursday? I've never understood that. Well, uh, why is it Thursday? Is I it think because Black because... Friday predated it, and so they just had to do it on a different day? No. I know that like the legend of Black Friday is that that's the day these different companies go into the black financially. <laughs> but I read that that was wrong. That's not right. I think it's just a more... I think it's just a more fitting and accurate tribute to uh, to Mammon, who we celebrate right. on Friday. I mean, because you have Black right? Mass, you have Black Friday... Basically the same. Basically thing. the same thing. That's what we're saying. Okay. Uh, not, not too. <laughs> Sorry, um, I totally interrupted <laughs> your your thought. <laughs> yeah. No. So why is it on Thursday? I think that's because that's when Amerigo Vespucci um, built America, and he celebrated with ravioli, and that's why every good American at two o'clock on Thursday for Thanksgiving has a big meal of ravioli. That's what happens with every American household on Thanksgiving. Okay, I will share my Thanksgiving thoughts after you finish what you had to say about your appointment that I witnessed. Oh, yeah, yeah, that whole thing. So we had just finished recording, and we're getting ready to fire up the next episode, and I get a call from Sister Annie. And without Sister Annie... Who he calls the boss, by the way. 
Yes, I call her the boss. Um, so we have a pastor. It's not like one of these things where you know, a sister runs the parish. That being said, without her, the parish would have burnt to the ground um, immediately without her. She does so much work. She's very capable. She's wonderful. And the thing about sister is that she doesn't call you for no reason, mm-hmm. right? Especially after 4 o'clock when the offices are closed, she's not going to just call about something. It can wait until tomorrow. Now, she'll be working late into the night, but she won't bother other people. So when my phone rings and Sister Annie, I'm like, oh, I have to take this. And she says, uh, there's a couple here to see you for uh, wedding prep. And all of a sudden, I remembered what happened. My phone was dead when this couple called me. Mm. And so I had my paper calendar, and I wrote their names in the paper calendar. I never transferred that information to my regular calendar, and so I utterly forgot about the meeting. Also, I would have changed the day of the meeting if I had my phone on me because I had blocked out this time for clerically speaking. So I just totally screwed up. And so I was like, Harrison, I got to leave right now. So sorry. Ran over there. Luckily, um, the meeting was supposed to be at 5. I think I got this call at like 4.47 or whatever. So I showed up relatively on time. Lovely couple, both Catholic. Paperwork's easy, delightful. Got that done. And uh, now, now we're back here. But man, this is... I am so bad at this. And it gets I know better. Everybody, everyone who's listening, they're like, oh, have you done this with your calendar? Have you? I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't do it because deep down inside, I guess I hate myself. I want to sabotage all my ministry. Right. It gets it uh, also it gets better. Um, yeah. I'm, I was similar too. And mm-hmm. I just had to kind of, well, A, I have a secretary who puts any meetings and stuff into my calendar for me. Yeah. which is a huge help. That is a uh, huge secondly, thing. it's just if I'm talking to people, I just put into my calendar right away. You just it just you have this kind of come to Jesus moment where mm-hmm. you're just like I got to be better about how I organize this stuff for the good of my people. The thing is and I'm not saying you, I'm just, I you know what I mean like, like you, you I'm not saying you're not doing it for your good. It's just like you just kind of have that moment when you realize if I don't do this now, I will never do it in my priesthood. Well, the thing is, so like I was getting better, mm-hmm. but then I got comfortable. Right. And I was like, I'll just do this right now. I'll fix it. But of course, I got swept into like three other meetings and utterly forgot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never kept, I think we probably mentioned this, but like in seminary, I, w- I didn't even know where my classes were. I would just like find who was in my classes. And when they left their room in seminary, I would follow them because I knew it was time for class. Like that's how like not good at this I am. But anyway, that happened. But. Thank goodness sister was there, and she was able to welcome the couple and talk with them, yeah. and, 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 it, and, and you know what? Welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father <laughs> I'm Anthony. Father Harrison. Um, I was just going to say, too, with, with that, it's, I remember in, in seminary, it was like the complete opposite for me. I, I've never, before I came to parish life, I was, I was able, I didn't even have to write stuff down. I was just able to keep it all in my head. I knew, sure. I, I mean, we weren't a huge college, so it was easy to know the timetables and stuff like that in a way but my dad and brother father david i would often know his schedule better than he knew it yeah i'd be like oh no you got this today what yeah you got this today i do yep (laughs) and so i would just you know i would it was but then you get to the parish life and it's just you can't do that anymore it's just not possible there's just too much stuff taking over your brain um but yeah see see, we would have been we would have been friends in seminary because i i just became friends with the most capable people who could help me organize my (laughs) schedule so it would have been a beautiful friendship of pure utility, and it's a shame. It's a shame we went to different seminaries. And you would have taught me how to smoke. Maybe. Right? So it would have been mutually beneficial. Probably. No, here's the thing. I've always been good about this. I've never, anyone who doesn't smoke, 
smoke, I would never offer them a cigarette. If they asked for one, I would say no. Gotcha. The only time I would say yes, if like some tragedy or travesty happened in their life, if they like flunked out of a class and were just losing their minds, then I would allow them to smoke. Uh-huh. But if they're just kind of curious, no. No, that's not how this works. <laughs> because you don't want this. Right. You don't want this burden. It's not worth it. Uh, so I would not have let you smoke. I would have given you a cigar for the seminary parties and campfires and stuff like that, but I would not have given you a cigarette. Okay, that's fair. So... Um, about my thing my i've had i've had one american thanksgiving experience this was during my mission year when i was with the missionaries uh-huh. charity i was living in gallup new mexico you don't need to say american thanksgiving it's the only thanksgiving i have canadian listeners we have canadian listeners like just just accept it you, you, uh, just 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 canadian thanksgiving is is a, it's like the kirkland brand thanksgiving kirkland makes good stuff like it man. exists whatever Sorry, go continue. continue. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, a family I got to know down there, they said, hey, do you want to join us for Thanksgiving dinner? I said, yeah, that'd be great. Wow, that'd be awesome, right? Um, and I thought to myself, dinner. Okay, no problem. I have the soup kitchen at like, we're, we're, they usually weren't open on Thursdays, but I said, well, we're opening on one because it's Thanksgiving and I'll, we'll do our thing and then I'll head over to people's places and then there'll be dinner later. When was the soup kitchen gonna? When are you gonna be there? Like at one o'clock. Oh no! Yeah, I. Oh I, no! I see the air of yes. your ways already. Well, I've. It, it was. It was just a. I'm like, wait, why? Are, and then so I get there later, and everyone, and then they kind of phone me like, where are you? I'm like, what do you mean? They said, well, dinner was at like two. I'm like, who has dinner at two? And it was only then that I discovered and understood what happens. I said, well, I gotta feed the poor first, so. Mm. Uh, just put some food aside for me when I get there. Cause that's the, that was the other nice thing is that, I mean, it was like a hundred, it wasn't just one family. It was like 15 different families in town and they were all hanging out and, and they're going to hang out all night. So I knew when I got yeah. there, people will still be there and I can, eat, and I can eat some cold Turkey and mashed potatoes and stuff and watch some college football. And that was, yeah, but it was the, I understood Thanksgiving dinner to mean like dinner time, not, two o'clock in the afternoon yeah no no why, no yeah, that's the other thing why yeah why why do they do it in the middle of the afternoon I, I still don't get that i think it's because you're kind of working all morning like you do a lot of prep work the day before but you're also working all morning mm-hmm. and it's just that's an easier time to do it and then it's great because you get this long lazy afternoon and evening right and to be honest also the best part about thanksgiving food wise in my opinion which is always correct is the leftovers hmm. so like the second dinner, which is like after you've taken a nap, watched some football or whatever whatever else you're doing, you like walk over to the fridge if it's in the fridge or if it's still kind of out on the table or whatever, and you get to have your little second Thanksgiving with just the food you like. Because when you sit down at the table, you have to have a little bit of everything. And everything's good, of course. Except the but Brussels sprouts. I, see, we don't do that. We don't do yeah, that. Yeah, it's because you guys have pasta. I mean, it's fine. But I mean, a lot of places have Brussels sprouts. And Brussels sprouts... Do you call it Pasta. Pasta. Pasta? Pasta. It's pasta. Pasta. Now you're going to start calling me an Italian. I'm going to lose my mind. I'm calling calling you out here. I'm calling you out. You say pasta, but then you say amen. We elongate the A for amen. So make up your mind, Americans, and say amen and pasta or amen and pasta. I say in liturgy, amen. All the time. So what Even you're saying is you're Canadian. What's you that? said you're Canadian, then. I am not. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> You're killing me. Uh, um, I was going to say something else about uh, uh, Thanksgiving. But the whole thing with my family, I think I've mentioned this before. We have the ravioli, and my dad makes that, and my brothers help out with that. And I usually just uh, either now I'm celebrating mass or sleeping, and then my mom will do the whole, like, turkey thing. Mm-hmm. So we get the best of both worlds, and it's wonderful. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it's time for the Summa Tweetologica. <laughs> Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. One transition they never expect is the no transition transition. I thought you were going to take like the food thing again. You know what? I was going to, but like that's just going to be so bad enforced. I just abandoned okay. shift. I hit the eject button, and we're we're not messing around. It's time for the Summa Theologica. And as everyone knows, the Summa... Oh, Summa Theologica. You just put the me. Summa the- I did, I did, I missed him up. Because really, I mean, let's be honest, as as important as Thomas Aquinas is, as um, important as his work is to the church and the renewal of the church after the Reformation. After the Reformation? think of... What do you... Particularly, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, in, I, in terms of like, really, the influence of his work after, okay. Sorry, I thought, like, exactly. you, you know he died in the 13th century, right? I know, okay. but it's really the Jesuits <laughs> who made the Summa popular. Okay. But as good as it is, as good as it is, really, when people think Thomas Aquinas, they think about tweets now because of our it's podcast. True. We, we've, we've changed the landscape. So the Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. And by now, because Twitter trends are so quick, and they have such a quick turner, turnover rate, this is probably old, but we didn't mention it last week. I have to mention it this week. This is a tweet from Kitar Catholic. Right now, his handle is uh, Key Turkey. He is a good priest who also happens to play guitar, which, as people know, is a guitar-shaped keyboard. And it's just a video of him shouting Vatican II. And what had prompted this was somebody complaining about a church in Japan that was, quote-unquote, Vatican II, even though it was built in the 1950s because people are not smart. And so he just shouts Vatican II. And because silly, uh, Twitter is a very silly place, full of silly people, it began this trend of people taking videos of themselves, shouting different councils. And at Father Harrison, I don't know why, I can't explain it, but I love it. Really? I love it. Good, it, good shenanigans. Is it because of the yelling? It's a little bit because of the yelling. I appreciate a good yell. I, I thought the first video was hilarious. Uh-huh. And I, but I was honestly a little disappointed it became a meme. Why? Why? Is it because you're a fun sponge? Is it because you hate fun? Is it because fun is illegal in Canada? Because you live in a it communist just, country? No, it, the first one was so perfect it didn't need imitation. Imitation ruined it. Here's the thing, though. Many times the priest DM 
we we have run a joke into the ground because we find it hilarious and silly, right? right? right. And people get very frustrated with us. <laughs> so I'm very open to other groups of people running a joke That's into fair. the ground. I was like, you know what? That's fair. Fair play. Fair play. Okay. Yes. No, but it, it, yeah, because like often, and the for those who aren't uh, social media savvy who listen to the podcast, because we also have to recognize that we're getting more listeners who don't have Twitter. Uh, right. Often what will happen with... Um, I just had a point to say, and I just totally forgot about. It was about memeing. About memeing was it about us memeing. No, our memory. Ah, crud! It was a good point too. Ah, anyways, okay, it's all gone now. It's all gone. I'm sorry. I failed that's you. Okay, Nick will fix it up. Yeah, make us sound smart. He probably won't, but that's okay. <laughs> he does. He like, that's the one thing. Because he'll so, like leave it just to just to just just for the humor of it. Yeah, because now we're making it into content, so we definitely can leave it. But here's yes. the thing. Here's the thing. He'll say, no, 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 this was an artistic choice. But really, I think he likes dunking on us when he can. I just think it was like, if I take this out, it's going to add 15 minutes of work. I, you know, maybe I, It's hard to tell. Who can say? Is he a genius? Who can say? Is he lazy? Who can say? Who, who can say? Who Who am I to judge? Right. Right. You got a tweet for us? I do. Uh, all right. I uh, I did have one. It is right here from Woke Space Jesuit. Oh, my. How come the much vaunted Pope Benedict, Benedict generation of ultra-trad priests aren't any better at giving homilies than the older ones? And he goes on. This is actually even the hotter take. People have pointed out that to be truly preconciliar and traditionalist, the homilies would be getting much worse, which I concede. <laughs> so I I found this interesting because my experience of quote unquote like you and I would be probably considered more or less Benedict priests right. because of when we went to seminary. Um, mm-hmm. And my experience, well, he's saying ultra trad Benedict priest, so maybe that's the that's the qualifier there. Um, but my experience of guys who've gone to seminary who are friends of Benedict have actually been quite good preachers. Mm-hmm. But and maybe I don't know, I don't know, I, I. But I've heard this from other people too that yeah, like the preaching doesn't exactly get much better, and you get a lot of the lazy like. You know, my, my, my least favorite trope, you know, what is the tree in your life? If a tree helps the chaos to see Jesus, what's this tree in your life that helps uh, you see Jesus? You know, tropes like that, that I just want to just like hit my head into the wall when I hear. Sure. Um, and I don't know what it is. And I, I actually remember tweeting out about this. I said, maybe, maybe homilies will always be bad until the Lord comes again so that we can remind him that when people come to faith, it is because of grace and not our works. Okay, there's a lot yes. there. Uh, one, one. I think the definition of terms is important because mm-hmm. I think if you're so like a lot, the priests who came before us, a lot of them identify as they are priests of John Paul II because right. that was a major influence in their lives. And I think a lot of us in our generation are Benedict. But if you're if you're a true priest under like the the if you're a team Benedict priest, you're not an ultra trad. Because Benedict was not an ultra trad. Like, if you're a, uh, a priest of Benedict uh, the Sixteenth, you are a form of a reform guy, right? So you're, you're even a Nouvelle theology guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I pronounced that terribly wrong. But, Actually, um, you did so pretty good there. 
Okay, okay. Um, so, I, I mean, I disagree with that. Um, I'm not... So the thing is, with being a priest, I don't hear, and I'm not terribly interested in hearing other people's preaching. Right, right. <laughs> Father Alec on Twitter, uh, he said, one of the great graces of being a priest is that you don't have to listen to other people's preaching. Um, so that's good and bad, because everyone, I think a lot of people may think they're good preachers, mm-hmm. but not. I, I listened back to uh, a homily of mine that was recorded last year, and the content was good, but I didn't realize, wow, I was really melodramatic in my delivery. And I was like, oh, I don't like that well, at all. You're Italian. Do I still do that? Exactly. So it's part of it. But you got to balance it. Cause there were times I sounded like myself and times I didn't sound like right, myself. Right. And that's making me, like, I wish I recorded more of my homilies so that I could work on some of that technical stuff. Right. Um, so I don't know what the preaching is like in, in uh, Traddy Parishes or in Extraordinary Forum Well, I've parishes. heard it's quite bad. So it depends. I'm sure it depends. But here's the thing. It's not the liturgy that makes the preaching. It's the priest. Mm-hmm. I think the the reasons behind bad preaching are not just theological outlook. I think they're very much so. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is something that I'm believing more and more is that good preaching comes from prayer. Period. Ninety uh, percent uh, of it. Like you, there's technical tweets, uh, <laughs> technical tweets, technical tweaks you can make. I think there's something about the art form that you can learn and be taught. But I think if you're not firmly convinced that Jesus Christ has something to say to your people at mm-hmm. this mass. If you're not praying and um, working on the spiritual life constantly yourself, you will not be a good preacher. And I think because many priests have not, they treat writing a homily as a job or a function and not as something that is pouring out from their spiritual life. I think that's the reason why you have bad preaching. Okay. I'm going to push back a little bit. I think it's a little bit more than 90% prayer. I'm not, I'm not, okay. I agree. I think prayer has to be of absolute importance in it. And uh, because it's also about like trying to see scripture in a different light too. I'm really mm-hmm. getting, I'm really getting heavy into wanting to train my people to understand the, the spiritual senses of scripture, because that is how it was preached for 1500 years. Mm-hmm. But so, but I also think, remember Nature and grace are always working in tangent with each other and not one to the excess of the other. Um, so there is good training in how to do it properly and effectively. And I think one of the first issues with a lot of preaching is actually maybe sometimes not even, okay, well, there's two, well, there's maybe actually it is in both. Content-wise, we talked a little bit about this last podcast. Maybe we get too academic sometimes for an audience mm-hmm. that's not academic. That's your first issue. The second issue is form, how you go about delivery and how you construct your your speech in a way that the order and modes of words that you use has an effect on the hearer, which is, this is like traditional rhetoric stuff. Like, yeah. like Fulton Sheen was a great preacher because he really internalized what he learned in his rhetoric classes. The other, and then in all of this, we get, I don't, we've talked about this before, I'm sure. I got one class in homiletics in seminary, and then we did some practice homilies on Thursdays, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a little bit more. We had two semesters of it. We had um, basically like a lab, a preaching lab, mm-hmm. and like a preaching theory class. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty good, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, Harrison, you had me convinced once you said nature and grace. After that, I was like, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I know. 
I just, yeah. So, so this one is from Josh Madden at Dr. Josh Madden, and I'm going to get in trouble for this. But he says, Tolkien could have used a better editor. Hey, John, not sure we need five pages to narrate our protagonist's traversal of a single hill. And I kind of agree. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Lord of the Rings, it's a different kind of literature. And... But also the thing with Tolkien is I've always appreciated Tolkien's thoughts more than I have his writing. I love reading about Tolkien more than I like reading Tolkien Mm -hmm. and The Lord of the Rings. Because there's brilliant flashes in Tolkien in some of his writing, and it's just magnificent. But then in other places it does kind of drag because I'm convinced that the way he sees the creative process is the reason why he spends five paragraphs on a hill is because he's actually excited to learn about this world he's exploring. Mm -hmm. He's not creating a world. He's finding out about a world. So when he's writing um, these longer passages, it's because it's all new to him. Does that necessarily make good writing? Uh, I don't know. Um, But I thought that's my perspective on Tolkien's writing. Would you edit Homer? Um, I can't tell you because I've never read Homer. Homer's not short either. And often mm-hmm. would go into detail as well. You see, it's. I think the issue is if you're approaching Tolkien as just. Well, there's two things going through with that. It's not just normal literature. Right. It's. I mean, he really invented the genre of fantasy. And in mm-hmm. this, he's adopting the genre of epic, which requires. And that, that whole genre has a a mode to it that involves a heavy level of detail because it's trying to really draw your imagination to really see the whole world and to see it from the eye, like to really be like, it's as if like the idea is meant to be that. And I think this is why people like fantasy when it's done well so much, it really actually draws on your imagination to pull you into that world. And that requires a five page discourse on how they traverse that hill. Yeah. So that's why I'm okay with the length because it's 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 not like George R R Martin where I really actually don't like the length uh because I don't think it serves a purpose because he's also not doing fantasy but that's a whole other way re, that's a whole other thing. Um the issue I think I think it serves a purpose for for Tolkien's genre that he's inventing. Yeah, that's interesting that you see you say he's invented a genre but I think he's done something that cannot be repeated at the same time. So everyone draws from his images and stuff, but I don't think he's invented a genre because it's a genre of something that other people can imitate. And I don't think anyone has ever done what Tolkien has done as far as world creation and what he's doing. Like they just, the only person I would maybe throw in there would be CS Lewis. See, I haven't, I, okay. Confession, confession. This is confession time. Not sacramental. In the name of the father and the son of the Holy spirit. Amen. Uh, bless me, Father, because I really don't have no interest in reading C.S. Lewis because he never became Catholic. It's a prejudice I have that I cannot shake. I am not interested in what this guy has to say. If you've had a friend like Tolkien and you've had every opportunity to come to the faith and you haven't done it, I'm not interested in what you have to write. I think there's a lot more to that than that and I think if Lewis were alive today he would absolutely be Catholic 
<laughs> but too bad he died and went straight to hell. I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that part. <laughs> I'm not kidding about my prejudice. It's a real thing that I haven't been able to shake. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. But this is just something like I have no interest in the, reading the him. Chronicles of Narnia, like The Last Battle, is one of my favorite books of all time. I know I read Chronicles of Narnia at one point in time. Um, I read a little bit of. Did he write The Four Loves? Yep. Read a little bit about that. Uh, but have never had the desire to get into C.S. Lewis. So you can send all of your hate tweets to at Father Sharapa on Twitter <laughs> and, or but, uh, email us at ClericalPod with your hate um, at ClericalSpeaking at gmail.com. So I, uh, by the way, the other thing I would add to all this is you're right, though, that no one's been able to imitate him but they've tried and it really it's created I would okay maybe a subgenre I think it, the, the actual genre that he's created is imitable but it needs to it means having a cuz really at the heart of Tolkien's whole vision is philology right and this and the love of language mm-hmm. and so, and yet and the connection between language and culture and so he invents it like we all know that he invents this language to and he's like well what's the culture that brings about this language and that's how the elves right. develop and it goes from there so you have to have that love for geography and language and culture and history and epic and myth and you have to be able to bring that all together into a literary form which no one is able, able to do because they're not oxford scholars who under, who understand and have a love for these things right and it was his life project he never finished like so to be that invested in the world for that many years like you can't do that again um but anyway i mean i definitely think token's worth reading and especially reading about token i think is even more important but there you go uh last one this is uh from at slasher day saint vincent beck and it's a video <laughs> who is the guy in the video? Mark McGrath, who is the lead singer of Sugar Ray. So there's this uh, there's this app. Uh, what's the app? Called? I forget what it's um, called. It's Cameo. Cameo. It. Basically, you can pay celebrities to send a message to somebody and whatever you want. And different celebrities have different uh, amounts. It can be anywhere from like twenty five bucks to like five hundred or whatever. And this celebrity will record in a video of what you ask this celebrity to record. And celebrity is used um, loosely in this. There are some people who are like, is that a celebrity? But anyway, because um, you, you've got like the really high-end uh, big-time celebrities like Zach Mabry, and then you've got like no-name celebrities as well. So it's, but it's a thing. And this video, it is utterly amazing. So I, it, the video is a woman, I guess, hired Mark to break up with her boyfriend yes and it's painful (laughs) it's so painful because mark can't actually use the words like he keeps on saying this is so difficult i i think i i struggled with this one there's no breakup in this video he doesn't actually use the word break up but well it's a long just and he goes well if you're writing a thesis you're gonna do like like, buddy you know nothing about grad school um but anyways right right. but here's the thing like so apparently this what i get from context is that this woman wants to break up with this guy because the long distance relationship isn't working (laughs) and then mark is talking about how like oh i get it it's difficult you know i've been married for a long time and the most difficult thing has been the long distance things so he's kind of saying like you know if you're really in love with somebody 
you can make this work. But you guys, I guess you can't. Right. And she's always, I still want to be friends, which is a phrase every guy often feels is not. It, it, you can't. It's 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 very hard to stay friends after that. Um, and but this is where I got. I was honestly angry. Oh yeah. <laughs> at this video, a Mark should have said, "Here's your money back." Um, I can't do this for you. Because I thought, honestly, what a cowardly way to break up. It's okay. It's a cowardly. Is it way. a cowardly? Yes. Is it a cowardly way to break up? The answer is yes. Absolutely. But like, if you're gonna break up in a cringy, terrible way, why not go all in? <laughs> why not go all in and like just like just compress all the cringe and all the universe into one video? Like, imagine like, what if this guy is like a super fan of this band and he loves? He them? won't love them anymore. Right? She's ruined the band for him. She's ruined every single song. And the thing, you know what you need after a breakup? You need music. The music that you can love and sink into. The music you knew before you were dating this person. I just want to fly. Exactly. Now he's alone because he's not in a relationship. He's alone because he's he's alone because he's a grad student. That's a lonely, sad existence. And now (laughs) his favorite band is ruined for him forever. This is the maybe the most devious and terrible thing that anyone has done to another human being. It, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> apparently, this person found it on Reddit, and it was it was bad. It was just bad. <laughs> and I just thought, folks, take it from two priests. <laughs> don't use cameo to break up. It, what if this guy it, becomes it, a priest because of this? That, that'd be great. What a vocation story. <laughs> and I'm gonna go further. Don't use text to break up. You got to do it in or person. At, it's at awkward. at the very terrible. least over the phone where you can hear mm-hmm. the other person's voice. Ugh. Just just become a religious or a priest. You don't have to worry about any of this exactly. stuff. It's too sad and complicated. Instead, you have to worry about parishioners. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of sad and complicated, it's time for presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the oh, best part. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, quite. quite. Yes, quite. Right, what? Actually, ho. <laughs> <laughs> what? Actually, hopefully this will be joyful and clear, because that's what we try to, to, to talk about in Presbyterian. I couldn't help myself. It just seemed funny to me, so I went for it. That's funny. All right. Uh, Take the lead. Yeah. So we're going to talk about prayer today because one question that we've been getting, and I've gotten a lot just in in priesthood is this question, how do I hear God in prayer? Mm -hmm. Right. Even one of uh, my students, um, one of the young people at my youth group was asking me like, you know, I've been praying, but I don't hear God. How do I hear God in prayer? And as a side note, just the fact that this young person was asking me that question I was just so happy right. because I'm utterly convinced that he will find Jesus Christ because he's searching for him mm-hmm. and Christ is is working in his life somehow. So the very fact that he asks that question, you know, I want to hear God. I don't know how. Um, that's amazing. Absolutely. So if you're at that part in your spiritual life, just hold on. Um, but yeah, because a lot of times. So this question is interesting because I remember a time when I felt the same way before I had an experience of Jesus Christ. I, I have a memory of like praying, but not getting anything out of it. Mm-hmm. Not pray, uh, I was being honest with my prayers, but didn't 
something wasn't clicking or working or something. Uh, but it's also funny because after you start praying and after you have an experience of Jesus Christ, it becomes a little bit more difficult to explain. Hmm. And a lot of times the explanations don't go farther than when you know you'll know, which is mm -hmm. a, not helpful to people. What also is difficult is that a lot of times, like if you're trying to pray and having difficulty with it, and you're listening to Catholic speakers, they'll say stuff like, God told me this, or God said yeah. this, or God put this on my heart, or the Holy Spirit's been telling me this. And they say it with such confidence that it can drive you crazy because you don't experience that. Also, as a side note, I just want to share this story. Sometimes people who say, God put this on my heart, or the Holy Spirit's been telling me something, sometimes they're absolutely wrong. And I have this uh, story. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, I, I forget what was going on. I, we were in seminary, and we were going somewhere. Uh, I think we were traveling on, on pilgrimage. Maybe it was a March for Life thing, and a bunch of us had to use the restroom. And so we're all lined up at the urinals. This is urinal talk again. And then one of the seminarians <laughs> says, well, I guess the Holy Spirit was calling us you know, to use the bathroom at this moment. What? And I, I thought for sure this had to be a joke. <clears throat> in poor taste, but, you know, sometimes seminarians make jokes in poor taste. And I... I <laughs> I, it was so shocking that I broke my rule, and I looked over at this guy, and he was dead serious. It's like, whoa, 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 buddy. Sometimes you just have to pee, right? Okay, so <laughs> hearing stuff like this that, you know, other experience of prayer, when you don't experience it, is a very frustrating thing. But the thing is, if you're genuinely searching for Christ in prayer, you're going to hear him, mm -hmm. and you're going to find out about him. So I just want to start with, actually, this is how I want to start. Father Harrison, can you talk about the first time you kind of had a, like a, a experience of Christ in prayer where you're like, oh, this is actually Jesus. He's telling me something. Yep. Um, I was, this, uh, it's my conversion, essentially. Um, yeah. Quick, quick. I was baptized as a baby, went to church a handful of times with my grandparents growing up, never did confirmation of First Communion, went to university. And because of a variety of circumstances, was in RCA the second year, so I could do confirmation, first communion, and stopped going to church the Sunday after Easter. And I didn't do my first confession. And weird. I didn't do my first confession either. <laughs> so you just kind of went through RCA, you got confirmation, and then you're just like, okay, I'm well, done. Well, there was a priest I knew who was trying to encourage me, and I, I, uh, I was, just, I was trying to just essentially appease him. Um, so that was mm -hmm. part of it. Anyways, it, there's a whole bunch more to that, but that's for another time maybe. Um, so I was, it was in my third year university, third program too, finally in philosophy, which is what I kind of stuck with in the end. I was sitting at my computer one night talking to a friend on Emerson Messenger. For those of you who are too young to know what Emerson Messenger is, it's essentially like WhatsApp for, for us way back in the day before there were cell phones to text mm -hmm. with. Um, and I said to my friend, I got to go. And I shut down my computer. <clears throat> and I said to myself, I got to pray. So I had this moment of uh, desire in my heart to pray that I literally had no context or anything. Mm -hmm. So I listened to that desire. And I started to pray. And I said to myself, well, how do you pray? Because I really didn't know. Even though I took RCA classes, I didn't really remember anything. So the inspiration that kind of came over me was just to say, well, I guess there's nothing wrong with just saying Jesus's name slowly over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I started to say Jesus's name like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
and it's hard to put into words the experience in that moment. Uh, it was a deep immersion into God's love. Um, the, yeah, words have always failed me to try to describe it. That's the closest I can come to. It wasn't like I didn't see anything or hear anything per se, but it was, it was, it was something that touched the soul in yeah. a deep way. And it had a felt element to it too. There was a lot of peace that came with that. And then that happened for a while. I kind of lost track of time in that moment of prayer. Mm-hmm. And after that, the prayer kind of comes to an end. And the next inspiration for me is to pick up my Bible and read. And I did that. And I blew the dust off the covers. So this is something the priest had given to me, and I never opened it when I was in RCA. And I just randomly opened it to the first thing I could find. And it was First Samuel 3, which is the call of Samuel which is, you know, uh, Eli and Samuel are in the temple and Samuel's sleeping and he hears his voice, Samuel, Samuel. And he says, here I am to Eli and does that three times. And he realizes Eli says, that's actually God calling you. So say, speak you, Lord, your servant is listening, which I heard, I read that. I'm like, okay, this is not a coincidence. And in that moment, I just said, I need to actually go and take my faith seriously now. And so I went back to RCA and did my first confession a couple weeks later. And yeah, so in that, yeah, that was, that was my first experience of experiencing God in prayer. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and that's beautiful. And I'll share mine in a moment, but uh, a follow-up question. How often would you say an experience like that happens to you since that day? Um, it's a good question. I, I'm trying to get better about remembering all these little moments. Like that specifically, I want to say maybe a handful of times. Right. Maybe a handful of times, yeah. Yeah. So what's like your experience? Like, let's say you're just going to your daily holy hour or whatever. Uh, what's like an average experience for you? Depends on the day. Some days it's mm-hmm. really hard for me to focus in prayer. I'm almost certain I've got some sort of attention deficit thing. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it, sometimes it's just really hard. I sit there and I'm just like, okay, Lord, I'm really trying to focus, but I can't right now, but I'm going to sit here anyways. Uh, the other, sometimes like even like just last night I was praying in the church and it's weird. It's like just speaking my heart in prayer, like unloading my heart to God in prayer there is this deep sense that there is someone there listening mm. and I can't, it's hard to describe in, in an analogy, but like last night I was just sitting there just kind of unloading a few things. Just like, I, I just didn't have a very good day yesterday. It was my day of rest. And I didn't really do a whole lot. I felt lethargic and I was like, I better go pray or else this will get worse. And so I just went to pray. I just kind of laid off all that in the Lord and I just knew he was there listening. And it's, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I don't know. I can't describe it any deeper than that. It's, it's hard to put a word to, yeah. but that's, yeah. And so sometimes it's, and sometimes it's just, I'm sitting there and I'm just able to really focus and on the fact that I know he's there. So, and I experience peace. Peace, I would say is the number one thing. That feeling and experience of peace is probably the number one descriptor I would use for a lot of some things for me for prayer. But that also means like I don't just go and pray two minutes a day. I have to give significant time to God to actually start right. to train myself to experience that. Good, yeah. Um, 
And so I think we'll be able to pull stuff from that to talk about how to do this better. And so my, my first experience of like, oh, God's real and prayer is real was uh, during my confirmation retreat. So it was before I was confirmed. Mm-hmm. And the short version of the story is I was getting ticked off because my life as an eighth grader wasn't going as well as I thought it should. And why wasn't God fixing this? And so the, for the first time, like in my mind, I sort of just started yelling at God and like, why would this happen? Why are you doing this? If you're all good and everything, blah, blah, blah. And I think it was the first time, like I said, like, I don't think any of my prayer was cynical before, mm-hmm. but this was the first time I just took what was really in my heart and then really let God have it. And then after that was the first time I just kind of waited and listened. And there was the Eucharist right in front of me. We're in adoration. And all of a sudden, I just knew that God heard me and that he loved me. Hmm. And there's a, a, a feeling of of peace. It's a feeling of being loved. It's hard to describe mm-hmm. what it feels like when like, you know someone loves you. But there was that, that feeling. And all of a sudden, all of those questions I had, they didn't matter. Because the only thing that mattered in the moment was that God loved me. Uh, so I think in your scenario and in mine, there's a genuine turning to God with what's on our hearts. Yep. So you had no idea what you wanted to pray about. You just knew you needed to pray. Mm-hmm. And so you genuinely, honestly, were present to God in that moment. Yeah. I think I want to make a small distinction between two words, and it's something I, I try to be aware of sometimes and I forget. I think there's sure. a difference between experience and feeling. Okay, yeah, right? go for it. Feelings are, are and I'm not, again, I'm not saying affectivity doesn't have a part to play in our prayer. Uh, and feelings don't have a part to play, but experience goes deeper than just mm-hmm. feelings. It's it's a sense of in the soul, and and so like in that moment, for example, when I'm like I need to pray, there wasn't a feeling with it per se, but there was an experience of a desire in my heart mm-hmm. that I needed to do something to correspond to this. That's not you see. It's, I think too often even desire and feeling go hand in hand, and it, they're not the same thing. And I mm-hmm. think that's that's such an important thing because I think we often look at the words like experience, desire, and feeling, and we think they're all the same thing, and they're not. Um, so I think like, I think almost like I, what I would say to people with all that is to say, yeah, I recognize in that moment I need to pray, but it wasn't like a feeling of sadness or lack. It was just a deep. There was something deeper than that that we need to get. In, and I, I not, how to get in touch with that? I'm still trying to figure out, but. Uh, there are, just comes those moments where you just experience in your heart something deeper than a feeling, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good distinction to make, and that's something that will make more sense as we go along, <laughs> uh, as as we go along, and as you go along and experience it. Yeah. Uh, so I think a part of what goes on here when people have difficulty praying or haven't had some sort of experience of prayer before, it's very much to do where you're at in your spiritual life. So if if a person finds themselves in a place where they have no interest in praying, where sin doesn't bother them too much, where they're not trying to get closer to Jesus. In that place, you're not going to be able to pray very much because right. you, you have no desire to. Right. And there needs to be a conversion moment in that, uh, a choice, an act of the will. But what's m- more difficult is when someone is just starting out in the spiritual life because there's something that happens. You're trying to move closer to God, but you still have all these old habits of your past. And whereas before, I'm going to use a little bit, because I think Ignatius' rules for this sermon are so helpful. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
in the first rule of his rules, and and we did an episode of this early on, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to go through the whole, you know the whole 14 rules. But it, for someone who's like the unconverted person, this describes them. In persons who go from mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy, meaning the world, the flesh, and the devil, is commonly used to propose to them apparent pleasures, mm-hmm. making them imagine sensual delights and pleasures in order to hold them more and make them grow in their vices and sins. In these persons, the good spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, meaning your guardian angel, meaning intercession of the saints or whatever, uh, the spirit uses the opposite method, pricking and biting their consciences through the process of reason. So usually even the person who is is very sinful, um, there's still a a sting of the conscience. And what the enemy will do is saying, oh, you can get rid of that sting if you grab onto more pleasures. But the more we do that, the more we kind of fall into this thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. But most people listening to this podcast probably aren't in that state. Mm-hmm. They're probably more in the second state where you're beginning to strive more for holiness. But what makes this state difficult is one, yeah, you've got those old habits, but then the enemy starts working on you in a different way. He starts putting up all these roadblocks. So Ignatius says it's the way of the spirit to bite, sadden, put up obstacles, disquieting with false reasons that one may not go on, that that's what goes on. So if you're um, striving for holiness, having difficulty with prayer, and you have this thought, this is going to happen forever. I'll never be good at praying. God doesn't care. God isn't listening. I'm too busy to pray. Mm-hmm. All of those thoughts are coming from the enemy and not from God. They are not true. They are lies. And even though they will feel true, that will feel like your reality, but it is not true. When you know something's from God, and when you know that your experience is, is genuine, it's very often, um, it's helpful to look at the language that Ignatius uses for spiritual consolation. And I think you'll be able to hear in this description stuff that Father Harrison said, stuff that I said. Ah, it's proper, um, proper to the good to give courage, strength, consolation, tears, inspirations, and quiet, easing, and putting away all obstacles that one may go on in well-doing. So a feeling of peace, a feeling of, oh, this is going to get better. Um, Just a quiet in your heart. Um, Tears, and and the way you can tell good tears from bad tears is that bad tears, a lot of times you'll be thinking about how I am a terrible person, and I am awful, and I will never get better. That's not coming from God. But if your tears are coming from a place of, genuine sorrow for your sins combined with the hope that God's forgiven you, that's a good thing. Or sometimes it's kind of like the, I'm so happy I'm just crying right now because it's so beautiful. That's coming from God. So that's the kind of more uh, experience of of God speaking mm-hmm. to you. And a lot of times it's in a very simple sort of way. It's just like you feel your heart kind of gently lift up. You're a little bit more at peace. And sometimes for me in a holy hour, I may spend the holy hour struggling with distractions and, but maybe at the very end of it, my heart's lifted up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of ready to go back to my day and there's a little bit of peace. That's a great mm-hmm. gift. Um, anything on that before I move on? No, I think, I, I actually think 
Ignatius's, and I th- just maybe one little caveat with when he's talking about from mortal sin to mortal sin. I think he would make mm-hmm. a distinction between that and the person who struggles with mortal sin but is tr- striving to get out of it, right? When you say mortal sin to mortal sin, like you're doing it without conscience, like you don't care that right. you're going from this sin to this sin, right? That's so because I recognize like a lot of people who are listening and probably struggling with mortal sin. That's yep. not the same as what he's talking about there. I mean, and, and the other thing important. It's important to know with his rules for discernment of the spirits is that these things are not like categorized and boxed off like he, he yes. he's categorizing these things so you can be aware of the different movements that are going in our hearts sometimes so um sometimes these things interrelate with each other and so like Absolutely. yeah okay you're struggling with moral sense so yes he's still going to use some of the the world the flesh and the devil are still going to use some of those methods to draw out of that in us right so but because we're striving we're going to find these other things that might help us grow closer to god too and those two things can be at play at the same time absolutely um so i think what's needed if you have trouble hearing god in prayer is a few things understanding what's going on in your own heart because even saint paul says we don't know how to pray as we ought right so a lot of times we want to pray but we don't know how and father harrison you got that little inspiration just to say the name of jesus mm-hmm. and if you think about it like there are so many things you could have prayed about like your life and where it was going how at the time you weren't really focusing on jesus christ there's all those things that you could have guessed at right mm-hmm. But that's not what the Lord wants you to do in that moment. And in that moment, you were able to listen to it and do something very simple. And that's what lifted your heart to God. Right. And that was your conversion, right? right? I think sometimes people, they feel like they should pray a certain way. So to be holy means I have to say these prayers. To be holy means I need to feel these feelings. To be holy means I have to do this and that and the other thing with my prayer. And there's a very dangerous understanding of the word should that the devil will use against yeah, us. exactly. If I should do this, I should do this. No, 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 You have to be very careful with this. Um, and so a lot of times the reason why we haven't experienced God in prayer yet is because we haven't prayed honestly. Maybe I need to bring something really ugly to God that's in my heart. Maybe I actually have to bring this doubt to God hmm. that's in my heart. Maybe I just need to... Speak Speak with God like I would speak with anyone else and stop treating him like a statue or, you know, so maybe the one of the roadblocks is that we're not being honest with what's going in in us. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, that's going to take time. So a lot of struggles that I think everyone runs into prayer, and I think especially for priests, and this is why it's helpful to pray in the morning. I can't always do it. But like if I try to pray in the middle of the day, it might be my only time to pray in a concentrated sort of way. But it becomes tough because I'm thinking about what I have to do after prayer, before prayer, and that, or maybe I haven't eaten in a while. And so I'm hungry and that's bothering Mm -hmm. me too. All those things, because we're embodied creatures, can be difficulties in prayer. But they're not roadblocks. Sometimes what you need to do is pray with your distractions. You know, if I'm really anxious about a homily I have to give, maybe that's what I need to talk with God yeah. about. Let go of, the, like, I should be praying about this. No, 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 this is what's really on your heart. That's why it's distracting you. I should pray about this. Now, if it's something like um, I'm really concerned about what's happening in my fantasy football league, maybe that's a distraction that I need to move on from. Right. Maybe it's then time to pick up a spiritual or book. Or you can say, hey, thing. Lord, why am I so attached to this? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a good deeper way to... So I think it's good to ask the Holy Spirit to teach you how to pray. When you've taken the time to do this, be like, Holy Spirit, teach me how to pray. 
What should I pray about? And listen to the stirrings that are in your heart. And sometimes the stirrings will be like, oh, I really want to pray about this. Sometimes the stirrings are like, I think I should pray about this, but I'm scared too. Tell God, I think I should pray about this, Lord, but I'm kind of scared too. And this is why. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself just praying. So tips I often give to people when they're trying to start their prayer life off is I'll ask them, like, where have, when you pray, what has brought you peace? And like, sometimes it'll be like a little weird stuff and I'll try and, (laughs) and take what the good thing is out of that and draw them into something a little bit more of a sacramental worldview idea. But like, you know, some people might say, you know, when I read scripture, it really helps. Or I just pray in the rosary or, you know what, just shutting my mind down for five minutes is super helpful. Whatever that is, that's why I say, Mm -hmm. start with that. Because you have memories of this working for you in the past. And so that's a good place to start often. Um, mm-hmm. And that, my second thing with that is always too, is, is I always, we, we, this is something that I'd say is big for Ignatius too, is memory. Always call to mind in your prayer those times where God has actually really touched your life and your heart. If, if you've had those encounters. Um, mm-hmm. That is a wonderful thing to do to remember like he has worked in the past. So he's, he's, and I knew him so real there. I know he's here too right now, even though I don't mm-hmm. feel him as much, if that makes sense. So I think what has, what has worked well to help you draw you, you into your prayer life is a good place to start. And then the second question, remind yourself of those times where you have had authentic encounters with him in prayer and call them to mind and give gratitude to God for those. Yeah, absolutely. And for people who have been praying before but find themselves in a dry spell and like or find themselves avoiding prayer sometimes you have to ask yourself like why am i avoiding prayer is it because i'm scared is it because i think that because i'm sinning or because i'm struggling with a habitual sin that god doesn't want me to pray mm-hmm. and the other th- i mean and this is this could be a whole other podcast we also have to remember right. that sometimes god does a lot Remember that your life as a Christian is a participation in the mystery of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that includes the cross. And you can't grow deeper into a relationship with God without it. And so sometimes we are going to be crucified in prayer, experience his absence. We're going to experience desolation, as even say, as they say, Ignatius will talk about. But mm-hmm. these are ways that God is actually purifying our love for our good and, and to draw us closer into him. So don't lose hope in those moments. But also remember, like, this is precisely the place that actually God's showing his love most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, just to finish, um, just so people aren't confused, that feeling that God doesn't want you to pray, that is always wrong. Yeah. Even if you had fully committed a super terrible mortal sin— that doesn't mean God doesn't want you to pray because God will call you to repentance and to turn back to him and to go to confession. Like you can always, always pray. Sometimes, you know, because uh, mortal sin is a deep wounding of our connection with God, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times we hear that and we think, therefore, I should just run away from God or I shouldn't pray yeah. or I'm not worthy or there's no point. You've, you've got to understand that while the image that I think is most helpful is from St. Teresa of Avila. So she has this image of the soul as this castle with many mansions. Mm-hmm. And that's just beautiful by itself because God has created in you an immortal soul, which is so beautiful and so good in and of itself. But on top of that, or actually within that, if you're baptized, the Holy Spirit has been set up in your soul. God literally dwells. I don't want to say literally because I don't want to mess up my theological words, but God dwells within you in a real way. 
And she says, uh, the soul in mortal sin, that spirit is still dwelling within you, but there's like this thick cloud that prevents you from seeing it. I think that's a good way of understanding mortal sin. A lot of times we think about like we've been guillotined by mortal sin. Our head's been cut off. We're dead. There's nothing we can do. Uh, And indeed, if you're utterly unrepentant for your mortal sin, that's a good way to go to hell, right? But a lot of times people who are struggling with that, they're not unrepentant. Right. They're they're distressed by the fact that they've done this. Yeah. And, and that's a sign that God is still calling out to you. Amen. So don't let your sin rule your spiritual life. Uh, because God wants more for you than that. He wants your freedom. And he's always going to call you to himself. So don't don't be discouraged right. by that. I mean, you're, you're going to feel discouraged. Like, we've all felt discouraged before. But uh, don't let that keep you from prayer. Because yeah. that's a trick of the enemy. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, I, I know I was speaking distinctively about feelings mm-hmm. i think it's i'm not i think we talked about this in our mary podcast i think actually affectivity has a place in in prayer absolutely because it, it, it's in mary absolutely the question is though how do we how do we respond to the feeling is it something that i react am i like reacting to feelings and am i chasing after them or am i looking to them as something to integrate and to reflect upon, to see the movings of God in my life. You see, that's what Mary yeah. does with hers. This is why she ponders things in her heart. She ponders her experience and her feelings in her heart. She doesn't just react, right? There, like, because she's sinless, there's an integration there. We don't have that yeah. yet, but we can start to work towards that with grace. And we can look to Mary with her pondering as a great way to look at our feelings uh, so that we can start to actually integrate them better into our into not just our prayer life, but into our human life as well. Yeah. So I think just to wrap things up, because we could talk forever about prayer and give a thousand prayer tips. I know we'll talk about it in the podcast in the future. But the the big thing that you have to do is to make yourself available. Mm-hmm. So actually make the time and to be honest. And I think what's helpful is actually this this quote from the catechism. Prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. But when we pray... Do we speak from the height of our pride and will or out of the depths of a humble and contrite heart? He who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is the foundation of prayer. Amen. Only when we humbly acknowledge that we do not know how to pray as we ought, are we ready to receive freely the gift of prayer. Man is a beggar before God. I think what's helpful to realize and to put yourself in this place of prayer is like, God, I know you love me. I don't even know how to pray. God, I've been searching for you, but you know what? By my own will, I I seem to not be able to find you. Or God, I have this doubt, and that's just where I'm at. Or God, I'm really angry, and that's just where I'm at. It's from that place of humility that our hearts are finally open to experience prayer. The end, I guess. Amen. (laughs) Any final thoughts? Nope. Nope. (laughs) I got to run here, so. (laughs) Good, good. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, Please leave a review on iTunes or whatever else you listen to our podcast. Um, Tell your friends about the podcast, but also tell your enemies because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find uh, or ask questions uh, or talk to us via twitter at clerical pod or send us an email at clerically speaking at gmail.com you can find me at father sharapa on twitter you can find me at fr harrison and is that all the things that we happen have to, to the end of our you podcast? can support patreon 
oh yeah you can go to uh, patreon.com slash clerically speaking um, all monies go to helping us run the podcast anything that goes beyond that does not go to Father Harrison and I we make no money from this Zero it goes money. to the missionaries at charity uh, and because of uh, Patreon we're going to be able to go to SLS 20 this year yes. um, so it's a big old conference uh, oh right yeah we're going yeah focus is SLS uh, uh, student leadership summit is in phoenix this year and they're having a podcast booth and so we will be out there with it sounds like twelve thousand other people and so come and check us out in phoenix if you're going to be there and say hi we'll have stickers we'll have business cards to help promote the podcast and and hand them out to people and we'd love to see you guys out there yeah it'd be cool to meet you uh until next time we'll see you guys later peace god bless